Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know as he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat me, lest I make my brother stumble. Before we delve into this text and consider its implications for ourselves, let's first get on the table that it doesn't get on the table. Let's first get on the table that it's not about saying Paul didn't really mean this, he meant something else. No, Paul meant this. He meant this, and he was speaking into a situation where what we do with our bodies has to do with who our God is. And, and this is a concern for us as well, even though, oh, for the last three or four hundred years, it has been a pretty common notion in the Western world that mind, body, spirit, and soul are all kind of working independently. And what you do in your physical life really doesn't have a whole lot to do with anything to do with your spirit or your soul. It's just, well, it's, it's just your body. So what does that matter? That's a fairly new notion, honestly, and it's a fairly Western notion. And it's not, uh, the, it's not the majority view within the Christian church. Uh, the majority view of the Christian church is that you are one creation. You are a human being. And while we can kind of talk about parts of you to kind of be more specific and focused in our conversation, God sees you as you. And the reality of you is that you are body and soul and spirit and mind and psyche and all kinds of ways of thinking about little parts of you, but they're all one you. And we can talk about compartmentalizing our lives and, well, this is just something I'm doing over here, but it doesn't really have any impact on me. That, however, is a lie. It does. And as much as we can try to do that and compartmentalize our lives that way and kind of keep things in different categories, the reality is that we are all one person. And everything we do is going to have some impact on other things we do, even if it is a matter of making us what? a little bit unavailable to the other parts of our lives. Now, I experience this every day. This is how I experience it. Something will happen between 
in the course of my work, which is for me to know and honestly, for me honestly to forget, because really it's not even for me to know, it's for someone's pastor to know so that it can die and be resurrected by Jesus. Somebody tells me something in confidence, and my job is to speak the word of the Lord in forgiveness, which I do. But then, it's not supposed to have any impact. It's not supposed to have any impact on them, because Christ has dealt with it in his cross and in his resurrection. It is done. It is forgotten about by God, and it needs to be forgotten about by me. Guess what happens though later on that day? I go home. <laughs> I go home and I take my collar off and I'm not wearing these robes and I'm sitting at the table having dinner and I'm feeling very quiet. And I'm not alone. My wife is there. And she says, is something wrong? And I don't know what to say, because there's nothing I can say. In fact, I'm not even supposed to be thinking about what I'm thinking. Because it's dead and buried, and Christ died for it. But here I am. A carbon-based, bipedal life form. <laughs> With all of the things that go on. And that's not that I'm brooding through it's just that it's, it's there, right? And, and I'm not saying that that interaction earlier in the day shouldn't have happened. Of course it should have. It's just that I'm a human being. But my wife is wondering, did I do something wrong? Well, probably. We all do. But that's not why I'm rooting. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> it's just that there's a third person in the room. But that third person is actually not even alive anymore. That, that thing is dead. So there's a dead thing in the room. And it's causing, it's causing dinner to be a little bit quieter than it would have been otherwise. Any number of kinds of things can happen like that. For those who have been on the front lines of warfare, a lot of times it's not something you want to talk about. And so the rest of your life, there is a, a portion of your life that is kind of hands-off. A simpler or not-so-dramatic example. When I was 16, I was an exchange student in Germany for a year. It did all kinds of things. It's hard to describe those things for somebody who's never been to Germany. During the second year of our marriage, Heidi and I spent a year in England together, and for one month of that time, we had vacation time, we went to Germany, and I was able to introduce her to the family that I lived with while I was 16. Now that entire year of my life that I had struggled with how to even describe what that was like was now open season. We could talk about it. She met that family. She saw the town in which I lived. 
we were able to share those memories, and it was a, it was really a relief to just be able to share and just have that part of life opened up. Those kinds of things are things we live with all the time, but it simply is a, a part of the notion of the fact that we're all one person, and this idea of compartmentalizing doesn't really solve anything. It doesn't really bring the wholeness that God would call us to. What does that have to do with our text? Well, it has to do with the fact that we still have this notion that I can do something over here that doesn't have an impact with me over here. It doesn't have a lasting impact. And even if it does for me, I can handle it. It won't be a problem for anybody else. Again, <laughs> that's a lie. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. Relationships don't work that way. People in the church don't work that way. We're all connected as the body of Christ by virtue of our common faith and baptism. When one person suffers, everyone suffers. When there is conflict with one, there is conflict with all. That's just the way it is because we are one body in Christ. And that's not just a matter of the congregation. That's the whole church. When there are problems in other churches, do you think that doesn't impact how outsiders see our congregation? They don't distinguish. Oh, that's the Methodist. That's probably not you guys. Oh, that's the Roman Catholics. That's probably not you guys. They don't care. That's just the church, right? Church people do that. Church people carry signs about how this person is hateful and that person is terrible and everybody else is. And they're always protesting this one. They don't want people to exercise it. Do this or that. They're always saying no about stuff. You think that doesn't affect how people see us? Of course it does. Because we're, you know, for them, we just lump everybody in the same group. They don't distinguish. So the divisions, even within the church, are an offense to the people outside. We can't help that. So we keep going and going on and demonstrating distinction and say, you know, look, we are, we are, we're, we're nice. Come and, you know, share some time with us. It'll be great. You'll have a good time. We'll have chill. The people in Corinth, their congregation had two camps of people. Now, imagine that our congregation was in New Orleans. What's going on in New Orleans right now? Mardi Gras. Now, it's pretty tame still yet. It's going to ramp up once we get into February. Right. And then maybe, maybe, maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there in the days leading up to Ash Wednesday before things go on. You know, and, and there's all kinds of people who are very aware of this or not, right? Uh, we were having a conversation with one person. How do they figure out when to do when they do Ash Wednesday? Isn't it sometime like in April or something? Well, no, that's Easter. There's a math thing involved. I feel like. But if our congregation is right there in Mardi Gras, right, right there in New Orleans and Mardi Gras territory, 
would you have some Christians in the church who would say, yeah, we can go and you know, throw beads around and do all kinds of fun stuff. It's just a good time. And would you have other Christians who are saying, you know, there's a lot of naked people running around there too. And maybe you don't want to necessarily associate with a situation where there's a whole lot of naked people running around. Maybe that's not a good idea for your marriage or for your chastity in general, whether you're married or not. So you can imagine that there might be two camps, two ways of looking at that. That some Christians would say, it doesn't really matter. And other Christians would say, yeah, maybe it matters a whole lot. How about an example real close to home? Now, again, as I said last week, I don't mean to be putting burdens. I'm just trying to make the point. We have a little shop down the road here sells fudge. There's all kinds of ways that that fudge is advertised. Now, I don't personally appreciate such humor. Not my choice of, of how to go about life. But I also know that some of the history of that particular property was also that it was a house of ill repute of some kind. So based on that history and based on my own you know, trying to get beyond 12-year-old 12, you know, 12 humor, I don't buy my fudge there. I mean, it also goes to the fact that my daughter can't eat that fudge because it has got association with peanuts and allergens, and so, so I get my fudge other places where it doesn't have that. Okay. But do I hold it against somebody that they don't share my concerns and they buy their fudge there? Not really, no. Sometimes I find out that somebody shot there and say, okay, whatever. But there's an opportunity to be offended. How about another one? Some people like to go to Disneyland. Some people think Mickey Mouse is just a lot of fun. Some people also don't like some of the things that Disney promotes. Now, to the extent that they promote them intentionally, and sometimes they promote them unintentionally, and so forth. And there's all kinds of companies who do all kinds of things that maybe we wouldn't necessarily agree with, with the money that they make from us. I have shopped at Target, although I know that some of the profits from Target goes to Planned Parenthood, which I'm very much against. But find me a business that doesn't hard to find sometimes. The big question is twofold. Is our witness to Jesus Christ compromised so that we become hypocrites? Or does it not matter? Do we find ourselves in association with demons? Literally. With those who would tear down the Christian faith. So that's one issue. The second issue is do I give offense to my brother or sister in Christ by doing something while I am exercising my freedom? Right. Do I value my freedom more than I value my brother or sister in Christ? And I take the attitude of saying I'm free to do whatever I want. They should deal with it. And that ends up causing more offense. 
Yes. You know something to be true. You know something is either right or wrong, and it's not going to affect you. You can just go right on with your business and be a Christian, and it's not going to affect your faith and so, and so forth. Knowledge puffs up. It encourages you to throw your freedom of action in another brother or sister in Christ's face. And then the burden is put back on them. The other option that Paul presents here is to love your neighbor in such a way that you don't cause offense, that you intentionally stand apart with them for the sake of their conscience. And you can say that that's not the American way, and I would have to say you're right, it's not. It is the way of the church, however. Exercising your freedom at all costs may be a marvelous testimony to your autonomy, but it is not a testimony to the church's community and that we're all one body in Christ. This runs counter, albeit specific, this runs counter to the American way. But actually quite a few things in the scriptures do. And we shouldn't always be surprised that maybe we're called to rethink how we go about our lives when we engage with Jesus' words. Paul's great concern here is for the unity of the church in Christ. And to not let one party or one faction or one point of view about things that maybe don't matter in the long run turn into something that really does matter in the short run because suddenly there is a crisis. Because someone has been truly and legitimately offended because you have compromised the larger picture of bringing glory to God and sharing his saving work. And whether you've actually done that or not, that's the perception. We're dealing with those kinds of issues too. Well, they shouldn't hold that against me. Well, maybe they shouldn't. But you have to see it from their perspective too. Well, how do we do this? In the situation with Corinth, the question was food sacrificed to idols. That's where the butcher shops were. They're at the temple. Take your animal, you take it to the temple, it's going to get slaughtered there, it's going to be prayed over by their folks, and then you're going to take the meat home. That's how it works. There aren't other options, right? How do you imagine all of those kosher rabbis who end up in butcher shops, how that all started? That's how it started. They had their own system. We're going to do it ourselves, thank you very much. We'll handle it our way, and we won't deal with what's going on there in the culture. The Christians weren't doing that yet. They hadn't thought to do that yet. It wasn't much of an issue until it became an issue. How does it become an issue? One Christian goes in and gets their meat for the month sorted out, and another Christian sees them walking out of the temple and says, you know, 
Why is it you're worshiping Zeus when you came to church with me the other day and we all had supper together at the altar of God? And now we're into it. What are we really doing? So how do we get into this in terms of micromanaging? Do I need to read all the labels and figure out all the spreadsheets and the annual reports of every business I ever deal with so that I can try to avoid offending someone? There's a point at which this becomes absurd. But there's also a point at which it has a real impact on the lives of Christians living together in the Church of God and coming to the altar of God to eat and to drink from Jesus Christ and to proclaim his name in the world. So there's got to be some sense of perspective, but there's also got to be some sense of recognizing that there are real issues. And there are real ways that people in the world detract from the truth of Christ. And that our associations with those things can have an impact on our witness and on our mission. Are we lax or are we rigid? A little bit of both. Are we always cognizant of the impact of our actions on what the world sees us doing or not doing? Who we associate with, where we go, what we do. Sometimes I wear my collar out in the world. Sometimes I don't. But by now, pretty much anybody who lives in town who's been here for some time and has interacted with me in the past, it doesn't matter where I'm, whether I'm wearing my collar or not. Right? I'll go to the cafe and say, hey, preacher, what's the news? You know, and I should say, Jesus died and rose again, and you are forgiven for all your sins. But usually I say something else. Here, the Holy Spirit opens doors. Let's be courageous. Let's be bold. Let's be unoffensive and unassuming. Always putting the best construction on what our brothers and sisters are doing as well. Giving them the benefit of the doubt. Trusting that they took the same vows that we did when we were confirmed as well. And when there is a time for correction, never being timid about it, but simply saying, if I've given offense, I will never do it again lest I make my brother stumble. May the Lord always lead in wisdom with this. And may he always keep our capacity for speaking the truth in love out in the world fully refreshed. And when the world misunderstands what we do, help us to gently, but consistently and correctly, bring them to the truth as well. The marvelous life we lead with all of the contradictions and all of the complications and all of the opportunities to be right in the middle of it and step in the, the mud, so to speak. But never giving intentional offense is certainly a first step. And when conflicts arise, to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to the altar of God, confess our sins, and receive his common forgiveness so that, again, it can be dead in the tomb, the one place the Father never looks again. And hopefully that his Holy Spirit can preserve our hearts from ever 
brooding over once it's done. In Jesus' name.